everybody. Welcome to the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. My name is Jesse Jones, and this is the premiere episode of the Bourbon Showdown Podcast, a podcast where we'll be walking you through everything bourbon, bourbon-related, bourbon culture, bourbon tasting. If it's bourbon, it's on the Bourbon Showdown Podcast, and we have an amazing first episode for you guys. We have Connor O'Driscoll of Heaven Hill Distillery. He is the master distiller. He's going to walk us through what Heaven Hill's been up to. He even sent along some Heaven Hill goodies that we're going to break into, and he's going to walk us through what we're tasting as we try them, so the next time you go to the liquor store, you're able to find that goodness on the shelf as he recommends it. But without further ado, we're not going to ramble up top on this first episode. We're going to get this thing started off right. The theme song for the Bourbon Showdown podcast was brought to you by Will Jones of the Will Jones Band, an amazing lick, and we thank him for it. So uh, if you're ever in the Nashville area or if you're anywhere in the country where you see his name pop up, Step in and listen to some good music. This is the Bourbon Showdown podcast. We're going to get started right now with Mr. Connor O'Driscoll. Enjoy, everybody. How are you, sir? I'm well, thanks. Good to hear you. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on today. Looks like it's going to be a fun interview. Oh, I hope so. It's it's very nice to meet you. I am uh, the envy of a lot of my friends right now when I told them you were coming on. <laughs> well, thank you. You flatter me, but thanks. <laughs> I have been a bourbon guy for a while now, but it feels like the past five years it has really collected a new generation of people. It really has. It's uh, it's. I mean, I've been in the business not almost 17 years now it, the difference between now and 2004 is uh stunning to say the least what, what do you think the trigger for that was uh you know we get asked this a lot and it's it's really hard to put your finger on and say it was that one event on that one day but um i think you know most of us kind of uh, look back and think that it's probably you know consumers were looking for authenticity you know, um, right. something that, you know, you could connect a person to a product that had a legitimate history and, you know, all the, the, the lore and the science and the art and everything that goes into bourbon kind of struck a chord with that. And then once the momentum started, it, it hasn't quit. And of course, it's been great for us as, you know, craftsmen and craftswomen to, you know, to be part of that and to, to, to have our hard work recognized. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's almost like the pendulum has swung the other way. Like there was that down tick in bourbon sales uh, when it was seen as like your dad's drink or your grandfather's drink. And then yep. that generation, it's almost like the vodka martini and the mixed drink crowd of, of that era, we swung back the other way because now we don't want to drink uh, our mom's gin and tonic or our dad's beer. We're, we're looking for our own identity of beverage again. And it seems like the spirit of choice has really been bourbon. And I, I think it plays a lot to what you just said. Just mm -hmm. the complexity is something with a story behind it that we can relate to. Exactly, exactly. And you know, like when you said the downtick, I mean, through the 80s and the early 90s, it was you know, bourbon was all but dead. And, you know, obviously, companies like Heaven Hill uh, persevered and pushed through and, you know, led the resurgence. And, you know, here we all are just cranking, cranking out high quality whiskey as, as fast as we can. And that's why specifically I wanted Heaven Hill to be on. This is going to be our first episode. So oh, I... 
of all the interviews that we've done and we have in the canon, this was the one that I was angling for just because of not only I'm a huge fan of the product, I'm, a, I'm, I'm marking out a little bit right now, but I uh, also the history behind Heaven Hill is one of the longest in the bourbon game and the, the products that you guys bring with you to the table. I, I just wanted to see if real quick, uh, you would give everybody a quick history of heaven Hill. A lot of sure. the new consumers are coming at me with questions that they don't even understand that the products that are being produced, some of their favorite spirits are coming under the heaven Hill umbrella. So I was wondering if you might just give us a quick summary of the history and maybe give us a, a, which brands fall under the Heaven Hill umbrella? Sure. Well, the company is 85 years old. Um, actually, in December, I forget the exact date. It might be the 13th, but December will be our official 85th anniversary. Um, we were founded in 1935. And the, uh, <clears throat> the five Shapiro brothers, um, they owned a, a series of you know, general stores across central Kentucky. And a guy called Earl Beam approached them and asked them to uh, invest in his distillery that he had started up just after uh, Prohibition. Um, it turns out that Earl was a better uh, distiller than he was businessman. So between uh, by the time the dust settled anyway, uh, the Shapiras owned the company and kind of sort of haven't looked back since. So that was 1935. Um, from the get-go, the, the focus of the company has been on you know, consistent, high-quality whiskeys. So 1935 was the end of Prohibition. Everyone was thirsty for good whiskey. Um, you know, Heaven Hill could have brought out a year-old or two-year-old whiskey or something young and not ready. But again, right from the get-go, they said, we're going to bring out a bottle and bond, at least four years old, underproof, met all the, the rules and regulations for bottle and bond. And that kind of is our DNA. I mean, it was a, a line that was drawn in the sand on day one. And, you know, we, we live up to it every day. And, you know, again, consistent, high-quality whiskeys. So since then, um, you know, we've grown and grown and grown. And um, I now run the, the world's largest single-site bourbon distillery. Uh, How does that course, feel to say out loud? <laughs> I still kind of pinch myself, to be honest with you. <laughs> And I, I've I've been there not quite two years. It'll be two years in January, end of January. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, but after the story, we mash five distinct mash bills. So we mash uh, a rye bourbon, a wheated bourbon, a rye whiskey, a wheat whiskey, and a corn whiskey, and they are all in our regular rotation of production. And when all is said and done, um, we translate those five mash bills into over a hundred different whiskey brands. But the, the ones that we are known for are Evan Williams, Elijah Craig, uh, Henry McKenna. Um, then we've got Pikesville Rye, Rittenhouse Rye. We've got Larceny, Old Fitz. We've got Metal Corn, Corn Whiskey. We've got Bernheim Wheat. And then, of course, in the Elijah Craig family, we've got several different expressions, including our new toasted barrel finish and the new Elijah Craig rye that came out this year. And then it goes on into all kinds of different regional brands. We own uh, uh, Dant and JTS Brown, which are uh, smaller bourbon brands with storied histories themselves. And again, over a hundred different whiskey brands, which I don't know all of them. I probably never will. <laughs> <laughs> 
completely fair. And I think uh, JTS Brown is overlooked sometimes for how tasty it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it is a total under the radar whiskey, um, but it's you know it's delicious and it's it's got a cool label and a cool history and uh, yeah it's uh, it's it's a it's a definite you know under the radar sleeper. I was telling people about it for a minute or two, and then I stopped because I didn't want it to become one of those things that is like <laughs> you can find it this year and then next year you can only buy one when it, when you go to the liquor store. So yep. uh, if anybody's listening, don't don't go pick up a bottle today. Just leave it leave it for us and and buy it as you want to, so that it doesn't get gone by tomorrow. That happens to us a lot. Obviously, Henry McKenna is the perfect example of that. You know, a ten year old bottle and bond. You know, just really good whiskey available generally anywhere for $35. And then at the San Francisco spirits uh, competition, it went, it won best bourbon and became difficult to get. And then the following year, which is literally a month after I joined the company, it won best in show, which means naturally that it's the best whiskey in the world. And now right. it's much more, you have, you have to be on very good terms with your local liquor store uh, to be able to get a bottle. I've never understood that. I've seen so many people get mad at the guy at the liquor store for not having what he wants or not believing that he has what he wants. <laughs> you know what's going to get him to get you what you want quicker? Get, yell at him. Just just get yeah, really exactly. mad. I'm sure the next time a case comes in, you'll be the uh -huh. first person he thinks of when he puts it on the shelf. Yeah, don't call us. We'll call you, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. That is my go-to sipper right now. Like the Henry, Henry McKenna bottled and bond is my on the shelf every time I go for a drink. Nice, nice. Well, uh, I agree. I was drinking some with my neighbor just the other night. It's uh, no. it's fantastic. And you mentioned that it won the awards mm -hmm. right at the beginning of your... So yeah, it won, it won the big award literally a month after, within the first month of me being there, which is purely serendipitous because obviously I had nothing to do with the production of whiskey ten, at Heaven Hill 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Henry McKenna, the original Henry McKenna was an Irishman. I grew up in Dublin. So, you know, maybe there's some cool synergy there. I don't know. Completely ties it all together. It was meant you, to be. There you go. <laughs> Ghosts were looking out for me. And and speaking of Dublin, like you 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 grew up in Dublin. You're from Ireland. Mm -hmm. What what brought you to the states? What brought you to America? Um, so there's a, there's long versions and short versions of this story. But <laughs> so the the medium version. So I'm a chemical engineer. I got my <laughs> uh, degree from University College Dublin, and I started working for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, who have a big plant in Ireland. You know, Pfizer were big in the news this week. It was kind of proud to hear the name pop up again. Um, so I started working for them and we actually, we were fermenting citric acid and a completely unglamorous product, but it was, it was, it was an older plant, but it was big and it was cool. And it was my first job out of college, but they, um, I'd been there not quite a year and they asked me to go to Terre Haute, Indiana, which I'd never heard of. Um, and to do this four to six month assignment to help start up a plant where we were using a genetically engineered bacteria to make the enzyme used to make cheese. So a, a genetically engineered bacteria used to make cheese. To make the enzyme to make cheese. So basically we were using a genetically engineered bac bacteria to make calf rennet. So you no longer <laughs> had to slaughter calves to get rennet to make cheese. So that was kind of cool. Um, That's again, awesome. So, yeah, it, it was, and it was, you know, I, was, I wasn't a year out of college and this wasn't, cutting edge technology this is bleeding edge technology completely um, it sounds like if it goes wrong that's how zombies start um 
potentially, but we were pretty safe with it. It was, it was pretty, it was, it was pretty safe to be honest with you. I survived anyway, mostly intact. Um, so I was there for the summer and then, you know, four or five months into it, they asked me to stay and I'd reconnected with some friends in Louisville and, uh, actually came down to Louisville. Um, I had reconnected with some friends in Louisville and was coming down here on the weekends. And after Pfizer made me this offer, I came down here. We went down to Dale Hollow, which is a lake on the Tennessee border. And it was in September. And it was this beautiful summer, late summer weekend. And as I was driving back to Terre Haute, wrestling with this idea, um, I finally decided I'll stay so long as it's fun. And 30 years later, it's still fun. So anyway, I ended up staying in Terre Haute for a total of six years, uh, then quit that job, rode, rode my motorcycle across the country, ended up in Beautiful. Colorado and skied all winter, came back to Louisville for Kentucky Derby, met Kim, who's now my wife, and moved to Louisville, moved in with her. And I'd always said that if I went back to Dublin, it would be cool to get a job making Guinness. So um, I actually, I worked for an engineering firm for about another six years um, in Louisville. And, uh, you know, again, this, this idea of it would be cool to make Guinness was kind of percolating. But, you know, by now, again, I was married to Kim and realized, you know, I, I'm not going anywhere and don't really want to go anywhere. So started thinking Wait, about why would you? Huh? Why would you? It sounds why like would... everything was going exactly the way it should. Exactly. It was, it was, I mean, life was good. Life is good. So, um, you know, this was around about 2002. I started thinking, you know, this bourbon thing, I'd been drinking bourbon for maybe a few years and was kind of enamored of the, you know, the stuff we talked about earlier, you know, the cool history of it, the fact that it's so tied in with Kentucky history and with us history. And there was an art and a science and even a black magic to it. So, um, I started knocking on doors in 2002, but of course that predated any even inkling of a boom for by, by almost a decade at that point, I think. So eventually in 2004, anyway, um, Brown Foreman opened the door slightly. I stuck my foot in it and uh, they hired me. And that was February 2004. I was hired as production manager in their Shively distillery, the the, uh, the Brown Foreman distillery here in Louisville. Uh, Five years there, nine years at Woodford. I left there the summer of 17. Was with Angel's Envy for a short stint uh, when Heaven Hill called and offered me this position. And here we all are. That's one thing I love about your history. Every brand that you've been a part of, you've been a part of at the a, a time when they were really producing good spirits. Like uh, when I was been, going through... Yeah, it's I mean, been, uh, it's do been, you have it's like the magic touch? Do you, or, I don't know. I've worked for good teams, put it that way. <laughs> I've worked <laughs> with and for good teams. <laughs> now it's been, I mean, that's it's been hugely gratifying. I mean, the like I said, the when I joined Brown Foreman in 2004, the previous person hired into that role was my boss at the time, and he'd been hired 26 years prior. If that gives you any any um, measure of how different the industry was then, but what a great time to learn, you know. And then as, you know, when I went out to Woodford in late 2008, early 2009, and that was when the economy tanked. So, mm -hmm. you know, we thought about, you know, shutting up shop at Woodford uh, because no one was going to buy super premium bourbons. And what was the point in making it if no one was going to buy it? But we had a visitor uh, center and said, oh, we need to have something to show the visitors. And about six months later, anyway, 
Woodford Reserve, the sales started picking up. I, I don't think they've slowed down to this day. So again, there at the right time, you know, it was from a teeny tiny, not quite a startup brand. It had already been around for a few years when I got there, but really saw it through some significant growth and, you know, was able to be part of that and learn a lot and, you know, influence a lot of that. So that was, that was nothing but fun. Talk about a great team to work with out there. Um, and then of course, Angel's Envy. I mean, that, uh, that got me back, you know, working in Louisville and no longer had to commute an hour each way. Um, and being part of Bacardi was, that's, that, that's a fun organization. Oh, I've heard. And a fantastic portfolio. Another, you know, all three, uh, organizations I worked for have all been family owned, not not quite as as like legitimately closely held family as Heaven Hill are. But um, again, Bacardi were a fun bunch to work for. Uh, got to visit the huge rum distillery in Puerto Rico a couple of times. Made some great friends there. And you know now here I am at Heaven Hill, and you know it's just uh, it's kind of the culmination of it all. And then when you get to Heaven Hill, you get to take over for like a legend of the business. Absolutely. How did that come about? So um, so when Den Denny Potter was my immediate predecessor, and we've been friends as long as I've been in this business, he, he's a great guy, and you know, we see each other right around from time to time. Um, but he decided, uh, actually Makers enticed him to go back to Makers, which is where he started. And that, kind of, of course, opened the door for me. And uh, I'm guessing you're referring to Parker Bean, um, who, of course was uh he is our master distiller emeritus he passed away in 2017 of Ugaric's disease but he's still our master master distiller emeritus uh master distiller for 56 years wow. um which actually i just thought about this uh as i was getting ready for this interview um he was master distiller for longer than i've already been alive <laughs> if that gives you any measure but just a giant of the industry um a hugely influential in the growth of Heaven Hill and uh, in our, you know, expansion of our brands and our portfolio innovation. And apart from all that, just a great guy. I mean, I have yet to meet anyone who has a bad word to say about Parker. And, you know, my, my colleagues who worked with him, uh, to say they remember him fondly, it might be the greatest understatement ever. Um, so just like a, a titan of the industry, a giant of the industry, um, to as it were, I don't I don't look at so much as stepping into his sho shoes as, as I do as standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, you know? perfectly so, put. Um, Fred Minnick was the I think he was the first interview I gave, and he goes, uh, "So what's what's your focus going to be?" I was like, "Not screwing up." <laughs> <laughs> Parker's built all this, and my job is not to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> that really puts it in perspective. Like you're saying he was at that position longer than you've been alive and yeah. nobody has a bad word to say about him. That's insane. That's like, that's the legacy you hope for. That is what you exactly. want at the end of your career. Like I'm yep. only however long I've been doing this into my career and I've already made a lot of people mad. <laughs> well, I probably have too, to be honest with you. <laughs> But yeah, so he's got that legacy. He's got the whiskeys he made legacy. And, you know, just it's it's layer upon layer upon layer. That's awesome. Uh, you, you mentioned something a moment ago that I think is very important and plays a key in, I think, why you've been as successful as it is. Your uh, mentality of you are going to do it 
as stay, you were going to stay in the country. You were going to do what you were doing as long as you were having fun. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really made it sound like you you were letting it go organically where you want. You were you were directing it, but you were still allowing things to progress naturally. You weren't shoehorning anything in, and it's really a testament to what can happen when you trust your instincts and go for what you th think will make you happy. I, too many people do things that they do just to do them. You know. Yeah, well, I think you're right. And it's, it's again, I, I don't think at any point did I say by such and such a date, I want to have this role or that role or anything. But, you know, it's, um, I, I guess, look at the Irish. I've, I've, I've apparently made good decisions and then made the best of them. And, and again, you know, it, it's, you know, no man is an island. So I've, I've been surrounded with great people. I've worked for and with great teams. And of course, you know, my family have been a huge, huge support for me throughout all of it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel very lucky. That's awesome. And I, I don't think enough can be said for that. So many people, they, I don't want to say people, I, I just think in general, if they aren't successful immediately, or if they don't reach the milestone they're going for, they'll set unrealistic goals for themselves where they should be focusing on just getting better at what they want to be doing because once you're good at it then you can excel but if you just got, go from zero to ten immediately there's no room for that growth and you're going to be kind of you're going to set yourself up for failure so to speak I, I think it's commendable that you just have built it over the years and and grown into it and gotten better and now you are at the top of it it's it's impressive well thank you very much I, I still feel like there's there's room to grow though, and uh, again, um, I've been with Heaven Hill two years. Let's call it now. So I've got fifty four more years to like in uh, past Parker's fifty six. So, so there's a goal. <laughs> Be a hundred, and I don't know what by that point. <laughs> hey, whiskey keeps you young. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> In terms of what's next, people say you've got to uh, don't skate where the puck is, skate where the puck is going. Yes. Where do you see Heaven Hill going in the next in the next little bit? Like, what's the next stage for for you guys? That's a great question. Um, now, of course, this industry when, when you're making whiskey today, they won't see uh, the light of day for four to twenty years. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to know where the puck is going. But I think the short version is we're going to we're not going to rest on our laurels. We're going to continue to build on our uh, on our strengths. Um, you know, uh, smart innovation, um, you know, brand extension. Like if you look what we've done with Elijah Craig, you know, started out as, you know, the 12 year old and then it became small batch, but we keep the 12 year old as the, the barrel proof. And then this year we've brought out the toasted barrel finish and uh, we've brought out the Elijah Craig rye. So very deliberate, uh, uh, focused, growth on our on our brands um you know uh a continued building on our legacy and we brought out the heaven and hill seven-year-old bottle and bond this year is our about this time last year um and again front and center writ large across the bottle is heaven hill i mean we are reclaiming that name because it, it had been associated with you know bottom shelf vodkas maybe um but you know we know we're better than that and we know our, our history and our legacy is in great whiskey so 
you know, we bring out a super premium seven-year-old, clearly age-stated, 100-proof bottle and bond whiskey to great acclaim. I thought that was a master stroke, by the way. Oh, it was now, and I, again, I can take no no uh, responsibility for that. I mean, there's our brand team. So this is what I mean. I'm surrounded by just really great people who kind of make my life easier. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a gorgeous package to start with. And then the whiskey inside is just, uh, it's just spectacular too. It's right behind McKenna for me when I go to pour. If it if I had McKenna the night before, it's probably going to be the bottled and bond the next day. Nice. I have a bottle there, but I I, uh, I I guard that one closely because it you know it's not available in Kentucky. It's 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 a very uh, limited thing, so I I don't want to bogart everything I can get and prevent our consumers from getting it. So, uh, but yeah, it's uh, I like that one a lot. I would love to hear how that conversation goes when you want something, when you want a specific <laughs> bottle and somebody has to tell you you can't have it. But well, I, I, you know, again, I, I try not to be greedy because I've got so much whiskey. I mean, I even, <laughs> you can see behind me, that's just a small part oh, wow. of what's behind me. And um, I can't complain. I've got all the whiskey I need. But it is nice to get the, the, the jams from time to time. Oh, totally. Uh, I opened up the... Uh, mistakenly opened up the floodgate today for questions that the average consumer wanted to ask you. Okay. Three of them were very good questions and about 500 of them were, where can I get old Fitzgerald 14 year? Where can I get this? Where can I get that? And so to everybody listening, he just said he can't get them. There so he go. probably can't get them for you. I mean, the best just keep on to, hunting. The best place to try you know, when they're released is keep it, keep your ears open for when they're going to get released and then go to the Bourbon Heritage Center in Bartstown uh, and often the uh, Evan Williams Bourbon's Evan Williams Bourbon experience here in Louisville. And if anyone's got them, that's they're those two are pretty good shots to get them. Perfect. Of all your of all the brands, which one would you if you could pick? If you had to pick, uh, which one would you say is your favorite right now? Um, you know what? Um, it's a really is that good like question. asking which child is your favorite? <laughs> Luckily, I only have one daughter, so that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I I mean, um, my usual answer to this was Pikesville Rye. Um, uh, and and I, it is, it's Pikesville Rye. I mean, that's such a spectacular whiskey. Um, now, the reason I kind of sort of hesitate on that is, um, you know, my whole career I've either, you know, I've made and drank and been exposed to and been around rye whiskeys and rye-based bourbons. Um, so when I joined Heaven Hill and we've got this great brand, Larceny, a wheated bourbon, I really had to kind of re-educate my palate uh, on how to enjoy that. And now, of course, we've brought out the Barrel Proof and that one is just spectacular. And for a wheated bourbon, it's so good. It's so amazingly good. And um, you know, Larceny continues to grow at crazy rates. So clearly, our consumers agree too. Um, but I guess the the point I'm making is that I'm doing. You know, the um, the the portfolio is so broad and so deep that it, it kind of sort of is hard to pick one favorite. But you know, uh, force me into corner, and I'll I'll say Pikesville. Pikes for ride. Beautiful. So it sounds like of all the kids, they're all doing very well. All of them are uh, going to good schools, doing making the right choices. Pikesville's just maybe at the top of the class. Exactly. That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> That's awesome. And you do so many of these interviews. I, I know you get asked every 
thing under the sun. What do you do? Something non-bourbon related, like when you want to not do bourbon for a minute, when you want to take a day off, what, what is a day of fun look for you that doesn't have anything to do with this? Um, so I am an inveterate bread maker, which is kind of close because it's fermenting grains. So I make a lot of right. bread and I've, uh, I have my sourdough starter is probably 10 or more years old now. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so I love making bread. Uh, I've got two dogs sitting here, one called Porter, one called Pilsner. Um, <laughs> and they will need, they will need a walk later on that just woke Pilsner up. Um, they will need a walk later on. So I spent a lot of time with them. Um, you know, um, other hobbies I do, uh, I spend a lot of time in the mountains when I can. I've got a, uh, a bunch of buddies. We have been the first week. Cause if you need me the first week of September, I'm not available because I'm somewhere in Colorado off the grid with a bunch of nine guys. And we've been doing it for 18 years now. And we basically hike into the back country, climb mountains, drink whiskey and hike back out a week later. Um, so stuff like that. <laughs> Beautiful. I, I think that's something that everyone should do at least once in their life. We try to do it about a, every year as well. But there's something about completely unplugging from everything you have going on and going out to where there is no connectivity. Mm -hmm. There's no only the people you choose to be around, which I also think is kind of important and yeah. just living free for a week or so. It's fantastic. And uh, yeah, the, like goal one of this is no cell phone coverage. And we generally, Perfect. we put we all put our phones on airplane mode when we're there anyway, just in case, it, you know, Verizon have up the game and they've got a, a new, a new tower nearby or something. But, you know, the Southwest Colorado, it's pretty easy to get gone and uh, it's spectacular countryside there. That's awesome. Uh, there's always two things that happens about day one or day two. There's always the one guy that breaks and you catch him <laughs> cheating and you got to reprimand him a little bit. And then there is about two days in your wife finds you somehow like like well luckily like i said we've been doing this for 18 years now so everyone knows the rules and all our wives are happy to play along so oh that's perfect uh, it's kind of cool it's kind of cool. yeah so we i mean literally we go off the grid and you know we'll get hold of you next friday evening see you that's awesome so, yeah, I, that's, that's pretty awesome it's so what you need just to unplug. It really is. But we always have whiskey with us. So that's important too. Well, of course. I mean, it's yeah. it, there's roughing it and then there's crazy. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah there you go. Great way to put it. <laughs> Great way to you put it. You know who it. turns on the cell phone first? The guy who runs out of whiskey first. Yeah. <laughs> we have run out of whiskey, but we've pretty much got the, uh, you know, it's funny. There's one of the trips we were literally down, we were passing around capfuls of whiskey uh, around the campfire on the last night. That's, that's how little we had left. But, but we've learned our lesson since. We we bring enough now. When we were much younger, we were uh, we were young and we were cocky, and we all go with the idea that we would fish and that mm -hmm. we would catch our dinner, and that would be how we sustained ourselves uh -oh. the entire time we were there. That's poor planning. So. Uh, the marshal shows up and none of us had fishing license uh -oh. and tells us we can't fish immediately. So we all had handles of whiskey. We were all prepared to drink for days. Yeah. And then we found out that we were also going to be crayfishing and eating off the land, whatever was edible while uh -oh. we sustained ourselves with whiskey. Yeah. That, that's uh, yeah. That's poor planning. We, we bring, we've, we've learned to appreciate dehydrated food. <laughs> 
oh, we were young and stupid. One of those wonderful trips where you remember it fondly now, but at the time it was like Survivor month yeah, three, yeah. and we'd only been there 48 hours. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> but you had whiskey, so that's good. That's exactly right. We were warm. We, we were all warm. One of the things that I really wanted to, and you've already talked to it a lot, uh, with the new consumer out there, there's so many choices. There's so mm -hmm. many, it, it can be daunting yeah. when, when you go and you don't know how you want to branch out. What suggestion would you give if somebody like say they love Elijah Craig, but they have, they're looking to expand their horizons. They're at the liquor store. All the marketing makes it look like every bottle's amazing. What, what are some, what are some things people can do to keep from going home with a, a bottle that they might not like? Well, um, obviously, buy a haven't heard product. Uh, it's a short answer. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> I'm yes. Only slightly facetiously saying that. I mean, obviously, there's a <laughs> lot of good whiskey out there right now. Um, but you know, uh, you know, podcasts like this are, are a great uh, a, a great source. I'm sure you'll have other episodes with, with other producers on. And they'll brag on their stuff, and many of them rightly so. So, um, get information from good sources. Um, I mean, I've talked about our portfolio being so broad and so so deep. So, you know, if you like uh, Elijah Craig, I mean, you can stay within the Elijah Craig family and try the rye or the toasted barrel and see where where that takes you. And if you like the rye, well, then maybe that encourages you to try Rittenhouse or Pikesville. Um, you want a complete departure? Go to uh, Larceny. Or if you really want to go on a complete, complete departure, try Mellow Corn. You know, it's a bottle and bottle <laughs> corn whiskey, you know, which is, uh, you know, people will, this is, this is one of the great uh, things about our portfolio and, and about the, um, the, the business, the way it is right now. It's like, everyone wants the unicorn bottles. Everyone wants the old Fitz 14 and the, you know, they'll climb and I'm, I'm going to quote my good friend, Bernie Lovers, our, our global brand ambassador on this one. It's like when you're, you know, climbing up the shelf to try and grab the unicorn off the top shelf. Look down at the gold bricks you're standing on. The gold bricks like Evan Williams, Bottle and Bond, Evan Williams, Single Barrel, um, Evan Williams, 1783. I mean, another just little little branches out from the portfolio, but even, uh, you know, Metal Corn. It's, uh, like I said, it's a four-year-old Bottle and Bond corn whiskey, and it tastes great, and it makes a great cocktail, and uh, it's got a cool 1945 label on it, so... It totally you know, does. And it's, it's, it's like, why would you buy a corn whiskey with a paper 1945 label on it? Because the whiskey's really good, that's why. But again, you know, there, there are a lot of good whiskeys out there, and I, you know, don't be afraid to try the, the gold bricks on the, on the middle shelves, because you don't need to spend hundreds or, or even thousands of dollars on a bottle just because that's what the hype is. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And, uh, you know, if you, if you spend $30 on a bottle of whiskey and you don't like it, what have you lost? 30 bucks. You spend exactly. $300 on a bottle of whiskey and you don't like it. Nah, it kind of going to hurt a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a, a, a great point. I, I think a lot of Freshman bourbon hunters will immediately go for what they hear they can't have. Mm -hmm. I think there's that, I can't have it, so I want it. But to your point, if you find something you like, there's no reason 
that you you, you like it. That that mm-hmm. that's a win. You already won. You found the thing. You paid thirty dollars for it. It's enjoyable. Uh, you don't have to go searching for. Uh, we're going to. We're going to look for old fits fourteen year. But that doesn't mean you had a bad day when you don't find it. If you still came exactly. home with something delicious. Yeah, I mean, instead of paying one hundred and forty bucks for that pay 14 bucks for Evan Williams, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. And I have a bottle of mellow corn on my shelf. It is one go. of the things so that, I. I mean, you have to, so uh-huh. if, if for nothing else, when people come over and they want to try something that might be that they've never had, mellow mm-hmm. corn is a wonderful, wonderful way to expose people to something new. And it makes a, uh, interestingly enough, it makes a really good Paloma, which is typically a tequila cocktail, but it's, uh, you know, the, the other flavor in it is grapefruit juice or grapefruit soda. And uh, metal corn makes a really good Paloma. Who knew? I'm going to try that tonight. There you so go. So you just replace, <laughs> replace the tequila with mellow corn. Yep. And what's, what's, what's the drink called so I can find the rest of the recipe? Paloma. P-A-L-O-M-A. Paloma. So All it's, right. It's like it's uh, grapefruit juice, obviously in this case, metal corn, soda, and a lime, and I think that's it. So it like it sounds a very kind of sounds very tropical tequila, uh, but do the switcheroo with the metal corn and uh, you get yourself. I mean, a night like tonight, it's a nice warm evening. It'd be kind of perfect. I love it. I'm definitely going to give it a go tonight. Excellent. Anything that I can do that brings mellow corn back into the conversation, uh, I, I I do it probably more often than my friends would like. Nice. Well, thank you. Well, I know when uh, you know when I go uh, market visits and whatever. Um, it's a, a lot of bartenders want to talk about that and uh, th- that first and the rest of the portfolio later on. So whatever about the unicorns, whatever about the, the new stuff, tell me about this mellow corn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be a prerequisite. Yeah, if you're going so. to buy a bottle of something that's $300 and you're never going to see again, then you've got to take a sip of mellow corn in front of me before I will sell it to you. <laughs> well, I read something uh, like when I got into business first, that, you know, to understand and appreciate American whiskey, you have to understand and appreciate corn whiskey first, which makes sense from a historical point of view. Um, and, you know, why wouldn't you? And again, it's, you know, um, new drinkers, uh, you know, they might be uh, put off by higher proof or big, bold, rye-based bourbons. Um, amount of corn, mellow, chill, easy to drink, nice light whiskey. Uh, Completely. And, and hip as hell, too. <laughs> uh- I knew I was going to enjoy talking to you, but I wasn't. I wasn't. I I wasn't ready for mellow corn to come up. I there you go. Huge. That's again. Huge fan again, of mellow to, corn. To flog the dead horse. Our our portfolio is broad and deep. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, it is. You have everybody coming at you with bourbon questions all the time. Do you get like the random bourbon fans? Do they find you? Um, they do. And I wouldn't say random. Um, you know the. Uh, the whiskey fests, you know, when we used to be able to have whiskey fests, uh, you get just some real diehard whiskey fans. But they're, I mean, they're kind of fun to talk to, too, um, you know, because they're so into it. And they are, they just, they can't wait to talk to you and to have like a conversation like this. And, you know, uh, the first whiskey fest I went to was Chicago uh, 2019. Yeah, Chicago. And 
all of a sudden people were asking me for my autograph. And, you know, a month prior, I hadn't been a master distiller. Now, apparently, I'm a master distiller and people want my autograph. So that was a little bit of a, wait, what? Um, but at the same time, it's very gratifying. And then you realize, or you better realize that, I mean, these are the people buying our whiskeys and, you know, <laughs> making the money that they pay me with. So uh, why wouldn't I enjoy that? And they're, they're great to talk to, you know, it, uh, it kind of makes it, it's, it kind of sees the, the, the wheel full circle. You know, it's, it's great to make whiskey. I love fermentation. I love distillation. Um, I love drinking it. And then to meet the consumers who are equally passionate, that's just fun as hell. That's the perfect answer. Uh, I've been doing stand up comedy for so many years and the appreciation that you get from the crowd is the same thing you're talking about when somebody comes up to you and says they enjoy your whiskey. Yeah. It, it's just that, and some people can get put off by it if they are not in the mood to talk or if they don't like people. You wouldn't believe how many people don't like people who make their business in people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's really weird. <laughs> well, they like to tell jokes, but then they don't like to shake hands weird very weird <laughs> but that's a wonderful answer and it shows a true appreciation for not only what you do but the people that you interact with that you know buys the whiskey so exactly. it's a, it's a I, full I, circle i joke and say you know i can make it all day long but it kind of doesn't matter until you decide to buy it and drink it and enjoy it and then buy it again uh you know what what's the point of me doing my part if you're not doing yours so to our loyal consumers and we've got some loyal loyal fans who absolutely like eat, breathe, sleep, and of course drink Heaven Hill. Uh, hats off to them. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Most definitely, people with their whiskey, they can be very brand specific. Like, like once you are a Heaven Hill man, mm -hmm. it, it's almost like uh, back in the day when whenever you, there were two products, there was Pepsi and Coca Cola. You had to pick a yeah. side. A lot of uh -huh. people picked Heaven Hill when they were making that choice. God bless them. <laughs> yep. Thank you, every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you guys have sent me some goodies. Uh, I, I wanted to, I've got a couple more questions before we get into that. Uh, okay. One, a lot of people don't understand what it takes to become a master distiller. If anyone at home is listening and, and thinking about a career in distilling, what advice would you give them? Is there something you wish someone had told you when you started that, that maybe could be helpful to someone as they enter the realm of distilling? Um, let's see. I think, you know, the, uh, I almost brought this up earlier in answer to a different question, but uh, you know, the whole thing about having fun. I mean, um, I've said it and I, I, I believe it's true that, you know, if you don't have a, a, a passion for it, from, for, I mean, it's, it is a handcrafted, even though, I mean, our distillery, we make enough whiskey to fill almost 1400 barrels a day. So it's a big whiskey facility, but we handcraft, I mean, we are you know, handcrafted with giant equipment, but the thing is we're craftsmen, we're craftsmen, we care about it, we're passionate about it. And you know, I firmly believe that if you know, the whiskey made by people with that mindset tastes better than whiskey made by people who come to work and you know, just come to work, you know? Um, so having that passion for it, um, kind of being into it, um, it's, I mean, there's, there's the industry again has got so many opportunities for all kinds of people. Um, I mean, if you want to go in the hospitality end, there are visitor centers. If you want to go in the 
culinary end, there's all kinds of connections between bourbon and food, the history of it, and of course, the production end of it. And there's, you know, all and engineering, marketing, sales, you know, microbiology, whatever you want. There's there's a niche for you in there. And it really is. It's a fun industry to be in. Um, you know, it's it continues to grow. Uh, it's There's a lot of great people in it who are just fun and passionate people to work with. And, uh, you know, I, I don't ever have to drag myself to work. And even if there was a day where it's like, oh, Christ, I got to go to work. I'm going to work to make whiskey. How bad can it be? <laughs> exactly. What, what's the old adage? If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But it's, you know, it's, uh, it's rewarding. It's fun. Um, and I think just the, the, the continual, um, be open to learning. Um, I mean, I've, I've got this title now and yeah, yay me, but, um, it's there, there's stuff I learn every day about just you know just talking to colleagues, talking to peers, talking to people at different distilleries, whoever it might be. You know, you're picking up nuggets just like oh wait, hang on, that makes sense. You know, putting putting those two and two together. So it's it's the perfect opportunity for lifelong learning, and uh, it's you know there's there's all kinds of upsides to it. Perfect, another wonderful answer. Well, thank you. Uh, Last question, and then we'll get on to the to, to the goodness. Uh, who would you put on your Mount Rushmore of distillers? Uh, so uh, I'm glad you sent me this question beforehand, so I could think about it. But first and foremost, without a, hes- a, a moment's hesitation, Parker Bean, um, because because Parker Bean, of course. Um, and then secondly, with just you know, the, the, literally the second name that popped in my head was Jimmy Russell, um, because. Jimmy Russell, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and then, so the the next one then uh, will be Evan Williams, so Kentucky's first distiller, as 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 he's known. Um, and if you want his full story or Evan Williams' bourbon experience, there's a really good tour and educational of the, of the history about who he was and how he found you know the first distillery in uh, in Louisville, first licensed distillery in Louisville. Let's be historically <laughs> accurate here, um, but just kind of a cool guy. And obviously, you know, we keep his story and his legacy alive with Kevin Williams. And and then to on the uh, the fourth head, I would have picked um, Dr. James Crow. Um, this is the kind of this is the the the. The whiskey deacon be coming out here. Um, so, Dr. James Crow was a Scottish medical doctor, and he worked at uh, what is now Woodford Reserve when it was the uh, old Oscar Pepper distillery in the mid 1800s. And they used to say about him, not only did he make good whiskey, he knew why it was good. So he took his medical science training, such as it was in those days, and applied it to the production of whiskey. And one of the big innovations he came up with was sour mash. And obviously, nearly everybody uses that now. Um, the reasons he came up with it, he kind of put two and two together and got four. But as we've learned so much more about microbiology and yeast biochemistry and all the rest of it, I mean, the use of backset or setback, depending on which distillery you're in, um, to you know, for the sour mash process, was this genius innovation that enabled you know whiskey. American whiskey to really become a thing of its own and kind of set it apart as, and you know, we're, we're still riding his coattails to this day. That's awesome. 
a very good list. Yeah. I like the last one. I think the last one's my favorite that you said. There you go. <laughs> and we, we could go down that rabbit hole for a couple of hours if we really want to. But yeah, uh, it's, you know, cool legacy. And, uh, you know, so the, you know, Old Crow Whiskey is named after him, the Old Crow Distillery. Uh, he, he really put his name on the map. But, you know, for being that pioneer in the microbiology, microbiology, microbiology end of it, uh, that's, that's where he gets my vote. So now is probably going to be everybody's favorite part of this. Uh, I think the conversation, I drink whiskey a lot, but talking to you about whiskey has been my favorite part of the conversation. Uh, I know everybody will be interested to know what we're going to be uh, drinking. Um, you guys sent me some phenomenal bottles. Uh, start first. You can't not start with the Elijah Craig small batch. I think that is just a perfect place to go. Uh, I've got a lot of newbies that ask questions and, and, and me, I, I'm by no means uh, an expert. So I always like to ask when sampling a whiskey for the first time, like what is your approach? Have you developed any particular habits when you taste something for the first time um, over the years? Usually the way I do it, I mean, uh, of course, it's, it's hard to approach it for the first time because of, you know, because I drink so much whiskey. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, when I'm doing tastings, leading tastings, um, I mean, the first thing I got to remind people is like, everyone just chill out, you know, uh, we're drinking whiskey here. Everyone relax. We're going to have a good time because people do get, they get so nervous. Am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I not going to be able to pick out the right flavor, whatever it might be. So, um, so I'm going to sound effects. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to pour a little, a little sploosh of uh, Elijah Craig Small Batch 94 proof. Uh, I'm drinking mine from a Glen Cairn. And so, again, if, I, if I'm leading uh, a tasting, you know, talk about how it's a, a, a multi-sensory experience. So we're looking at the color. And, of course, whiskeys in general and bourbon in particular are, uh, you know, it's all about that beautiful, clear amber color. Um, and you want to nose it. And, you know, it's... It, it doesn't really matter if uh, if you can't pick out the marzipan or the burnt orange or whatever it might be. I mean, I mean to me that just smells like a good whiskey. You know, there's 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 no one note overpowering. Um, there's complexity. Uh, you know, just you know, of course we don't want to spend all that all day sniffing it, but you know, clearly you know a, a bourbon whiskey, but you know, lots of you know vanilla and caramels. There's some sweetness. There's some you know, uh, nice, uh, almost floral or herbal notes on there too. And then the important part, nice, nice sip. So <clears throat> nice. Um, 94 proof, smooth, smooth, smooth as you like. Um, and again, um, there's a nice, it's just a kind of a hint of bar of the, the barrel character in there. Nice, you know, it's not overpoweringly woody or oaky which is obviously something you don't want but um you know uh baking spices coming through a lot of it kind of um cinnamons nutmegs that type of christmas spice is, is kind of in the, in the background um clearly nice sweetness but it's not in no way cloying um you know again the the vanilla and caramel that we smelled in the nose show up very clearly in the in, in the flavor as well but you know, rich, complex, smooth, no off notes. Um, 
and just in an entirely pleasant glass of whiskey. But you know, if I was if I was trying something for the first time, that's more or less what I do without quite as as much yappity yap. Um, if I'm drinking, you know, if I'm just pouring myself a, a, a nightcap or whatever, I usually drink it on the rocks. Um, that's part. I would say eighty percent or more of the whiskey I drink, I drink on the rocks because uh, you know that first sip, you're going to get it pretty close to how it is in the bottle. Um, but then as the ice melts and opens up, it's going to kind of dilute out the whiskey and allow you to pick it apart a, a little easier and find out what the nuances are in there. Um, you know, it's, it, it's just, it makes it a, it takes it, it allows you to drill down more easily because you know, the, the, the heat of the alcohol dissipates and you can start picking up the, the, the more subtle flavors in there. And one of the, one of the things I like to remind people is that, you know, tasting whiskey kind of is a learned skill there are people who are much better at it uh, but you can learn to taste whiskey and the hardest part is um putting the adjectives to what you're tasting you know and that's why it's great to go to either to go to tastings or to tune into podcasts or whatever it is where people are tasting like people who, who do this for a living are doing it and then you, know, you may not agree that it's you know brown sugar you might think it tastes a bit more like honey but it's still going to start giving you some of the vocabulary to use and uh you know then you say oh yeah I, I do taste brown sugar so the next time you taste it and then that that starts training your your palate to is that brown sugar or maple syrup or is it honey and you can start so it's not just sweet you know you've got these different different things you can start to learn to pick apart totally there's levels to it mm -hmm. that's that's delicious. It's so good. Uh, and another thing you said that I think is very important, I, I think people feel bad sometimes when they put an ice cube in. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of ice to open no. it up some. There, you're nothing not breaking a whiskey law no. by having ice. Absolutely not. And, um, you know, most of our whiskeys, I mean, we, we, as it were, design our whiskeys to be enjoyed by lots of people and you can be as whiskey snob as you want about it and drink it just your way and that's fine please i i will hesitate to encourage you to put diet coke in it or something like that no but, no 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 no, no. <laughs> we're, we're, let's not go crazy here exactly exactly but you know um like if an we're, ice if cube we're tasting, yes tab yeah. no <laughs> yeah exactly um if we're like let's say we're doing uh like when we were bringing out um Toasted barrel, as you play toasted barrel, there's a you know a lot of R and D went into that. And by R and D, I mean we sat around and we tasted it after a bit of these the second barrel for a while. You have the greatest and job it's, ever. It's pretty fun. We don't do that every day, but um, very often we'll dilute it down uh, to because if there are off notes or if there are things that you know would be hidden at high proof, you dilute it down and you can taste it. You can taste the individual components and then the um if there are any sins in there they have nowhere to hide so there you go we actually did a taste test last week uh where we did the small batch against the toasted barrel just to see if if we could pick out the difference and it was really incredible because small batch is on its own so good and each of us came to the table having tried both of them separately at different occasions mm -hmm. and then when we sat down and went one after the other from the small batch to the toasted barrel both were exemplary 
it was one was really good and then the other one was like a heightened version the toasted barrel was like a heightened version of the small batch well, it just exactly it, what we were looking for so you're on the payroll thank you <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I think, I, so that i mean that's that's you know one of the the you know highlights our partnership with independence dave you know one of our cooper's cooper's partners and those guys know wood they know wood science they know wood chemistry and partnering with them on projects like this is you know is nothing but fun you know so we know the whiskey they know the wood we work together and come up with something like that that's my favorite part about it like in terms of making the bourbon i i love the fact that there's the science behind every single piece of it and then at the end of the day that science is uh, precise enough that it, it doesn't control nature but it predicts nature in a way that you get something good at the end of it exactly any any you know, to to uh you know predict nature yeah we get back to that crystal ball thing you know um we like I said, we make 1400 barrels a day. We have currently 61 warehouses with almost 1.9 million barrels in them, and no two of those are the same. So, we like every day at the distillery, we strive for consistency. We want you know, super high quality new make whiskey. So, when it's put in one of these super high quality new barrels, you know, all the variables are taken care of and then you put it away in one of our 61 warehouses and which are in six different sites and they've all got different locations and different floors and blah 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 and then you wait and you know two barrels filled on the same day with the same liquid aged you know almost next to each other will very often mature out to be very 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 different which is you know that's that's where the the, the distillery gods come in and you know you get to you know picking single barrels uh just see the influence of just what what all, what the next set of variables could do for you, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's exciting and rewarding and fun and all that good stuff. Well, that's the favorite part of getting a, a single barrel is is when you get one that might not taste exactly like the next one. That's the excitement of of mm -hmm. trying it. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, a, a quick tangent. Uh, mm -hmm. You're talking about the distilling and the aging uh i came across a bottle of the heaven hill 27 year mm. recently and yeah. it's the one that was pre-fire uh pre-heaven hill fire have, have you I, I of course i didn't have that kind of money laying around just to take yeah. it home with me uh have you ever tried that have you had that I have. yeah so it was how, how out, is it uh it was brought right before i started the company so there was still some around i've done some tastings with it um it's good um i think the most interesting thing about it is that it's 27 years old um gotcha. bourbon it's it's kind of it's it's past the the best buy date if you will for bourbon it's been in the in the wood almost too long but what's kind of interesting backstory on the 27 is that um for every barrel of that that we bottled we probably had two more that we chose not to because it was way too overaged and you know we could very easily have bottled every single drop of those 27 year old barrels and probably more than 50 percent of the bottles would be purchased for 500 bucks and put in somebody's shelf as a collector's item as an investment and never get tasted so right. who cares what the whiskey tastes like but we knew that some significant portion would get tested tasted and um we weren't going to put our name on something mm -hmm. that we didn't think was good enough so rather than you know, take the money and run. 
we bottled about a third of it and sold it. So again, the most interesting thing about it was it was 27 years old. It was good whiskey and it was great to taste something that was that old. But as an exemplar of a great bourbon, I think we've got better stuff that is more in that, you know, let's call it eight to 12 window, uh, maybe mm -hmm. a couple of years either side of that. But again, it just showcases what you can do with an inventory of 1.9 million barrels and 61 warehouses. You know, we've got all these different levers we can pull, buttons we can push to uh, to kind of showcase our, our, you know, what we can do with whiskey. Well, and that shows brand integrity, the fact that you had them and you went through and tested them and sold the best of what you had versus exactly. putting it all out there. That's how you build brand loyalty. Exactly. And, and, and that's, you know, uh, we get asked all the time, how can you sell, you know, Evan Williams for so cheap? How can you sell Larceny Barrel Proof for 50 bucks? Isn't it worth more than that? And like, you know, we've, we've got 85 years into this business by kind of our, our consumers are loyal to us. We're loyal to them. You know, yeah. Old Fitz sells in the secondary market for 10x what we sell it for. McKenna sells for a lot more than we sell it for. But, you know, we jack the price up, the secondary market takes it even higher. And now our right. consumers are like, well, screw those guys. So, yeah, we're integrity is, is, how, you, is, how, is it's how we roll. That's perfect. I it, it's uh, I was a fan before this conversation, and and now I'm I'm a super fan at this point. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, you mentioned larceny. Where would you like to go next? We have two um, options: we have larceny two, barrel proof or the so Pikesville rye. Let's do Pikesville next, just because. Uh, let's go up in proof. So we're going to go from ninety-four proof uh, to one hundred and ten proof, and so this is Pikesville rye is one of our now three rye whiskeys. Uh, we've got, there we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got uh, Rittenhouse, which is four years old, Fall and Bond. And mm -hmm. we've got Pikesville, which is six years old, 110. And we've got Elijah Craig, which is the same uh, age range as the Elijah Craig small batch. Um, so I found a bottle one, of Elijah Craig rye today, by the way. You, oh, it's it's good stuff. It's really good oh, stuff. Oh, man, I can't wait. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, to me, this is um, this is just a perfect uh, expression of a rye whiskey. I mean, uh, so the mash bill on this is fifty-one percent rye, so just enough rye to be a rye whiskey, and that compares to the ten percent rye in the in the uh, uh, Elijah Craig. But so you can on on the nose, just um, a lot more of those spices are there. Um, you know, they're just uh, you know kind of. Big, rich spices, I, I think, is, is the, the way I, I describe that. Um, I'm going to, you know, enough yappity yap. I'm going to take a sip because I love this one. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, so this one's 110 right, proof, so 55. I've never had this one before, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to go in for the first time ever. All right, right. And, well, I'll, I'll and, be quiet and see how you do. <laughs> well, just, just, just let me know. Let me know what I should be uh, – well, not what I should be, but let me know what I might be experiencing. Um, all right. So this, like I said, it's, um, I love how smooth it is. 110 proof. Um, the rye in this case, uh, oh, that's so beautiful. Rittenhouse has got a lot of kind of, um, like just, uh, spices that are kind of in your face where the spices in this one are mellower and softer. Um, and, you know, kind of show up as, you know, um, kind of a, a a nice dry chocolate note. 
I can, okay, I can see chocolate for sure. Mm-hmm. This does not drink like 110 proof. No, never does. Uh, and again, oh just uh, that that richness, that smoothness, the those um, rye spices that um, they've kind of gone from, you know, the nutmeg cinnamon stuff. Uh, maybe I'm, you know, what am I getting there? Um, you know, kind of more like apple pie spices, like what you call like cloves, maybe a uh, cardamom, um, that kind of end of the spectrum. I, I can't get enough of it. It's absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Well, if your um, your local watering hole has a good bartender who knows how to make a good Manhattan, uh, mm. this makes a spectacular Manhattan. Um, there it is. The best Manhattans I've had uh, have been made with Pikes for Rye. All right, so we have uh, we have drink number two of the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am the Manhattan maker of my household, so I've got a, 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 a jar of handmade brandied cherries that I use. Nice. So maybe I will will go from the mellow corn into <laughs> the rye later. Very different cocktails. Very very different <laughs> cocktails. But uh, <laughs> you know when. When uh, actually one funny story about uh, Pikesville, and I've, I've told this before, if you're any of your listeners have heard it, but you know my, my local liquor store up here, the Wine Rack on Frankfurt Avenue, he had a bottle of this in his window, and I'd be walking by and I would see Pikesville Rye, and I missed the giant S in the middle of the label. I was like, who the hell is making rye whiskey in Pikesville, Kentucky? Like, can can that be any good? And um, you know, come to find out that it's our brand, and oh my god, it's fantastic! So, um, so then when I got this job, it was at a one of the speakeasy bars downtown, and you know, treated myself to a Pikesville Rye in Manhattan, and I can literally taste it now because it was so good. It is. It is beyond. It is beyond good. Yeah. Um, my brother-in-law, his last name is Pike, so I've I've always kind of just by the name associated this with him. There you and, go. And uh, him and I drink old fashions together quite often, so it's uh, I, I it is it is a beautiful, beautiful rye whiskey. It really is. I'm glad you like so uh, old fashioned. Elijah Craig makes a great old fashioned. Uh, oh, it so, really does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, shall we move on to larceny? Yes. Now this, I've always liked larceny i've always had it on my shelf uh i was blown away when the first barrel proof came out earlier this year or uh, was it this year or last year man 2020 has been so long yeah i know it uh this year so it uh, you know the 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 larceny barrel proof program mirrors the uh elijah craig barrel proof program so we bring each of them out three times a year and they've all got this top secret code on them um (laughs) and the one we're going to drink is C920. And uh, like I said, we bring them out three times a year. So the C means it's the ABC. It's the third one. The mm-hmm. nine is September, the ninth month of the year. So it was brought out in September. And 20, obviously, is the year. So C920, it's the third release of this barrel proof uh, brought out in September 2020. And it is an A120 and a B520. So January, March, uh, or January, May. September. So, um, and I, I, I took this to be serendipitous as well as uh, it's one of my favorite bourbons of the year. And I just happened to get the bottle that came out on the month I turned 40. So it was well, happy uh, birthday. We did that just I, for you. <laughs> I, I, I figured I, I figured that's what it was. Like you guys did a little research, knew that that was the one. <laughs> give, give, give. That's what we do. 
So we are going to completely shift gears here. So um, we've been focusing on rye so far. So uh, Elijah Craig comes from what we call our HH reg mash bill. It's the, we made probably 90% of what we make is HH reg. It's got 10% rye in it. And we went to um, Pikesville that had 51% rye. And now uh, we're going to go to Larceny that's got 0% rye, but it's got 20% wheat. So it's a wheated bourbon. Um, and you know, immediately on the nose, um, you know, those spices aren't there. You know, uh, it's 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 bready, it's toasty. Uh, well, maybe it's maybe it's a little you dig deep enough, but you know, it's it's kind of got it's it's a much uh, softer, rounder, more gentle nose on this one. And again, this one is what we what do we say? One twenty two point four proof, so sixty one point two percent alcohol. Um, but on the nose, no alcohol burn. Just that you know oh, uh, at all. Yeah. It, it's so impressive. You do not get that one twenty two from the nose one bit. Or when you taste it. Um, so this one, um, this is one that at one hundred twenty two proof. Um, you know, again incredibly smooth incredibly rich now this one does benefit from a little bit of opening up this one would, could do with like one chunk of ice in it and, and as it opens up but um you can taste you can taste it your mouthfeel and everything is so completely different from what we've tasted before because again softer gentler rounder and if you compare wheat bread to rye bread it's kind of the same comparison um mm -hmm. but uh, you know, kind of six to eight years old. We don't have an age statement on this, so plenty of time with the wood to, you know, to interact with the wood and 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 build up that that wood character from it without any without the, the wood overpowering the distillate, which is that soft, gentle distillate, and they 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 kind of work so well together. And just a really nice, um, you know, toasted pecan, um, mm. maybe hazelnut note on that as well. Uh, but like I said, the just very, very different from the two whiskeys we tasted earlier. Um, and even at this high proof, it's smooth, it's soft, it's gentle. And, um, and, oh, and it's the a regular, kitty cat. Huh? It's a kitty cat. I would not, I would hey, not think. Kitty cat, I like that. <laughs> just sipping. I would not think that's 122 proof. And again, this is one that we sell for, I think it's uh, right at 50 bucks, maybe slightly less than 50 bucks. The, lar the regular larceny that's 92 proof um, is available, you know, everywhere. And it's a, it's a super nice, uh, super nice bourbon. Um, just growing by leaps and bounds. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, when I, joined Heaven Hill and had to, as it were, learn to drink Larson and learn to appreciate uh, wheated bourbons. It was a very short learning curve. I was like, wow, this, this stuff is different, Bo. It's really good. I like this. So, Well, it, it's a wonderful change of pace. Like when you're drinking a rye and then you go to a wheated, it, it's, if you're looking for something that takes you to another place, it's a perfect option. Exactly, exactly. And then we were talking earlier about kind of exploring the shelf, like where, where should I go next? And you know, mm -hmm. that's something that uh, a brand like Larceny uh, absolutely gives you that opportunity. So again, a trusted uh, distiller, you know, it's a Heaven Hills, you know, it's going to be good, but it's something completely different and allows you just to kind of broaden your, your whiskey experience, broaden your whiskey knowledge and enjoy something really good. I love the idea of branching out 
within the brand that you know, because if they made the first thing that you liked, they're probably going to make the next thing that you like. I think that's a smart way to grow your palate. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, it, you'll eventually try somebody else. And if you like that, then you can do the same thing. But exactly. I, I like the idea quite a bit of, uh, you know, you've got a, a good hand giving it to you from this one. So why not, you know? Exactly, exactly. But this one, I mean, I, I literally had the, uh, I'm actually drinking from the uh, from the tasting sample. Um, maybe you can see on oh, the wow. camera there. So, <laughs> um, and this actually sat on my bar for a little bit. And, uh, you know, when the C920 came out, I was like, I should drink that. Because uh, people started to ask me about it. So it was only a few weeks ago I poured it. And it was like, oh, my goodness. Why, why did I wait so long? This stuff is fantastic. It's so good. It's uh, it's it's one of those. If I'm gonna start high proof, I will start high proof for maybe the first of the evening and mm -hmm. move on to something else for the second. But it, it has been uh, one of my go tos. I, I I now have listed three go tos with you <laughs> since uh, I don't know what that says we about him, me. Man. That might... we got them. We're like I said, we're three in. We have 102 <laughs> or 107 or whatever it is left to go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be blind. It's we'll be blind be a long by tomorrow. Night. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, to uh to you know kind of tie it back to stuff I said earlier, I mean three very different whiskeys, three different expressions, but all clearly great whiskeys. Um I mean it speaks to what we like to talk about our house style, our ability to, you know, flex from one mash build to another, one age to another, one proof point to another, and yet consistently produce high quality whiskeys that are you know uh price competitive you know the, the barrel proofs you know become hard to get their collector's items um but they're not like these ultra unicorns um but even even still you know so you, you don't get the, the barrel proof you know we got a pike store for you you know you don't get that we got the small batch for you well, and it shows brand consistency, mm -hmm. like everything that you, if, if you people learn that everything you put out is good, then they don't have to worry when they go back for another bottle. And it makes this part of my job so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. Uh, uh, imagine if like one of them hadn't have been good and we'd yeah. have had to sit here going. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, let's go back to the yeah. other one. <laughs> oh yeah, apricots. Yeah, I totally yeah. get apricots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly exactly well you have given me a, a a great deal of your time today i have i've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you likewise, connor I really, likewise thank you it, it's been a pleasure uh getting to know a little bit more about you learning about your your craft and your your career and and what you have brought to the company i i think heaven hill is just the best out there i i Everything you guys make, I, I'm gushing. I can't say uh -huh. good well, things about it. I, I, I do not get tired of people saying that. But, uh, you know, yeah, we, we, we're good at what we do. We've got 85 years of experience, and uh, we, we don't just kind of lay back and, and rest on that. I mean, we're, we're proud of what we do. We love doing it. We're passionate about it and uh, love making good whiskey. And I think it shows. I think it shows in everything that you guys have not only put out always but added to the criteria collection over the last year and a half like all of the new offerings none of them have been bad like yeah. there hasn't been like a misstep they're all fantastic yeah because uh 
it's not that we worry about that, but yeah, we, we focus on that. We don't want to bring out a misstep. We don't want to be like the, uh, the having uh, the, the seven-year-old bottle of bond that we talked about uh, earlier. Um, that was Whiskey Advocates number four whiskey of 2019. And, you know, what a great accolade. And we want to keep building on that. You know, we want to, uh, we love making good whiskey. So. And you do, but, but I know exactly what you mean. Like if you're not careful, you'll end up with like a crystal clear Pepsi and then and, and, uh... <laughs> not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great note to go out on. I, I thank right. you so much for the you're time right. today. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Uh, to everybody at home. This is Connor O'Driscoll. Thank you so much. everybody we did it that is the first episode of the bourbon showdown podcast i want to thank everybody for listening i want to thank mr connor o'driscoll for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to us about bourbon today he really is a wealth of knowledge on the subject and we appreciate his time so much so thank you very much connor we loved having you on the show now everybody go out and buy yourself some heaven hill products go get yourself a bottle of elijah craig some pikesville rye some larceny barrel proof buy all three i don't care just go uh, go buy some goodness. We want to thank Will Jones for providing the music that you heard in the background of today's episode. Will's an amazing guitarist. If you ever get a chance to hear him play, go do so. Find him on YouTube, find him on Facebook, find him on Instagram, and then come on back because next week we have Greg Metz from Old Elk on the show. I don't know how we're starting with so many awesome people right out of the floodgate, but we've got him next week, so come on back. And if you would, please do me a favor, hit that subscribe button, go do whatever you need to do to make sure that you know when this show's coming out it's a weekly show it's the first season we're only going to have 12 episodes this first season and you don't want to miss any of that it's going to be a lot of fun so go ahead and click that subscribe button and come on back next week for another episode of the bourbon showdown podcast that's it everybody raise your glasses and kick some asses my name is jesse jones we'll talk to you next time (laughs) 